0: <laughs> we forgot to give you that command. Uh, usually, we ask you to stand just in order to give you a little bit of time to maybe relax a little bit and to stretch out before this lengthy sermon and so. But we didn't get to do that this morning, and so we're doing it this other way around. Anyway, good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning. Those of you who are streaming with us online, we're glad to have you with us here in spirit as well. If you're visiting with us this morning, we want you to know that you are a welcome guest and. Listen, if you hear anything or see anything that causes some questions to come to your mind, then certainly feel uh, comfortable to talk to me about those things afterwards, and I'll try to give you an answer for why we uh, do or why why I've said the things that I've said this morning, if we can just be helpful in any way. Anyway, good seeing all of you uh, this morning. So most of us have been at some kind of race at one time or another. It might be that we have watched maybe a, an Olympic event or maybe it's at high school or some event where runners have gone to the starting blocks and are waiting for the efficient to begin to uh, give the commands. On your mark, get set. And then they'll shoot a gun or they'll sound some kind of beeper or horn that, you know, says go. And so the runners, they go. But sometimes in the event of this happening, sometimes a person, they jump the gun, if you will. And that jumping of the gun or going too soon is really what's called a false start. And the result of a false start is, is everybody has to go back to the starting blocks and reset and get going all over again. Well, that's what this new series is about the new series really is about resetting it's about resetting a number of things uh, of us as a congregation and the things that i've been sharing with you and, and i'm going to share with you really are not anything new these are things that you already know but sometimes in the busyness of life and all the things that happens in the world around us sometimes we either become lax maybe neglectful maybe we just become forgetful of what the real things of life are that are really important to us and so That's why I've chosen to do this series on reset, since last year was such a different kind of year, and as we go into this new year with at least a sense of, of hope, with this new vaccinating and some other things online, that maybe we're going to be able to get back to a little bit more normality, and so the idea of resetting. And so I'm wanting to talk to you about resetting our purpose, and I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. Of course, resetting our priorities. What is the priority of our congregation and And how do we as individuals address those priorities? And this here is a new one. There is our profile. Our profile says everything about who we are and what we are and why we do the things that we do and resetting as with anything it always begins by asking the right kinds of questions and as we mentioned last week that socrates you know he was known as an extremely wise man not because he had all the right answers but because he knew how to ask the right kind of questions and some of the questions that are the most important are why questions and what questions and so i began last week as we talked about the purpose of the church why do we exist we ask this question well why does the church exist And after going through the sermon and looking at a number of passages of scripture, we said, well, the purpose of the church and why we exist is to glorify God. That ultimately is what we are about. The next natural progression in the series, you would think, would be priorities. And to be honest with you, as I worked on the lesson last week and began to work uh, quite feverishly upon it, I talked about the various priorities, which are, I believe, there are four major priorities in the congregation that we are to pursue. But as I thought about it and worked more on it, I thought more about this idea of a profile and how profiles are so important. And when I talk about profile, I'm talking about you as an individual. In order for us to carry out the priorities of the church, we first have to, I think, do some introspection and look at our lives. And so this morning's lesson is called Resetting Our Profile. I think you know what the profile is, but like I said, sometimes we can forget all about it. And so, do you know what a Christian's profile looks like? I mean, what are we supposed to look like? What are we supposed to be doing in our lives? Because when you talk about our profiles, well, a godly profile, it really has a lot to do with how we go about glorifying God in our lives. If our profile is not correct, then there are going to be things that are going to be, you know, that, that God is not going to like, that God certainly is not going to appreciate because the purpose of our lives is to exalt god to lift him up as was mentioned by adam in our our preparation for the lord's supper he talked about how god exalted jesus and gave him a name which is above every name the idea there is to glorify jesus the idea is that ultimately we glorify god because of his great sacrifice however sometimes our profile gets contaminated by the world that is around us and needs a reset By being contaminated, I think sometimes we get contaminated by the world that tries to set what our values should be or what our moral code of conduct ought to look like. Or maybe even the world contaminates us by telling us here's what is important in life and, and we buy into what is important in life and as a result of that, we miss what God would have us to do. We get off of script that we talked about several weeks ago and that we need to reset and get back on script that is revealed in God's word and his will for our lives for instance, have you ever uh, put some quicksilver or mercury in the palm of your hand? And as you put that mercury or that quicksilver in the palm of your hand, you tried to grab a hold of it? Well, one thing you'll find very quickly is that quicksilver or mercury is really difficult to get a grip on. I don't even know if they even allow that to happen these days. I did it as a child, but today, you know, they would talk about mercury poisoning, so you can't be putting that in the, into the palm of a child. And I don't even know where the stuff came from and how I got hold of it, but I remember trying to get hold of it, and it's almost an impossible thing uh, to, to do. Well, a Christian's profile sometimes is hard to get a, a grip on. In fact, the Christian life, uh, like mercury, can be challenging. And not only can it be challenging, it can be dangerous. When you think about mercury, well, you think about mercury poisoning. If you were to, say, take a a mercury thermometer, which I don't even know if they even sell those these days. You know, they got different kinds of things. I'm looking over there, and every once in a while, I'll see someone go, no way, they don't allow you to put mercury in your hand. They don't allow you to put, you know, mercury thermometers in your mouth. But if you was a kid and you would have done that, and the thing broke in your mouth, and you would have accidentally ingested the mercury, Well, it can have some damaging effects on your life. It can damage your kidneys. It could cause your, your uh, effects to happen to you physically, as well as maybe even psychologically. So it became a dangerous kind of thing. But did you know that in society, mercury was used a lot in history for the purpose of extracting gold? It goes back as far as 3,000 years ago where they used quicksilver or mercury to extract gold and to make it pure purified. They would burn the mercury up. causing vapor to go into the air which again was was dangerous but they came out with this purified gold that they were looking for this is a process that was used even in the united states through the gold rush years and so forth all the way up until 1960s when they finally said you know what mercury it really works really good extracting gold but it, it really is some dangerous a stuff. In fact, Mercury has a tendency not to be able to be reclaimed. You can't keep it all. And no matter how many things they went through to try to make sure that they used all the Mercury up, sometimes the Mercury found itself into the ecosystem found itself into the soil, found itself into the waterways, into streams, which was absorbed by fish. And people went out and they caught the fish and then they ate the fish and absorbed the mercury that was there and the result of that was that if you have too much mercury in your, your system, well, all kinds of things would happen, like progressive weakening of muscles or the loss of vision. Maybe it was an impaired brain functions or paralysis or birth defects, sometimes coma, maybe even death. So you can see that mercury was a dangerous thing. But it was good in the fact that it could extract some things, but it was bad in that the effects of it. So how do you use quicksilver or how do you use mercury? And it caused them to rethink the process. And after going more into the process, he said, you know what? The thing really is a bad thing in terms of the environment. And so they outlawed it. They don't put it in thermometers. They don't let you put it in your hands anymore. And they don't use it for extracting gold, even though it was an incredible way to get purified gold out. Well, there are times when we as Christians do we need to pull back from the busyness of this, this life as a congregation in terms of our ministry or maybe even as our individual lives and what we need to do is take a really good look at our Christian profile. What are we about? How are we doing? Why are we doing the things that we're doing? What are we doing? As I talk about the four priorities, I'm hoping by next week that we will be thinking about, okay, as we get into these things, how does my life affect those ministries? How does my life affect the mission of what the church is about? And so resetting our profile. And like I said, these are not things that are new to you. I just think there are things that sometimes we forget. And it becomes something that is challenging for us. Uh, to reevaluate ourselves and to uh, really think about who we are and and what we are. So this morning is resetting our profile. And there are 10 traits that I could identify that have to do with our profile. You could probably add more traits to it. You could probably take some traits away, but we're going to look at these 10 traits, and it will take us no more than an hour and a half to do that. Uh, but these should go fairly uh, quickly. The first one is this. The foundation of our profile really is our character. Proverbs, the fourth chapter and verse 23 says, Watch your heart with all diligent from, from it flow the, the springs of life. That is so true the things that we allow to go into our hearts can either darken them or they can enlighten them they can be evil or they can be good they can be moral they can be immoral and the things that go into our heart oftentimes is reflected in our lives and we affect those who are around us and so our character is really huge when it comes down to doing ministry and mission within the church Financier J.P. Morgan once co- commented that a man's best collateral is his character And if you think about bygone days people used to say listen my handshake is my word I don't have to write contracts. I don't have to do all this stuff. If I shake your hand I'm a man of my word. You can trust my character I will see this thing through Of course, we write huge contracts now sign lots of papers to do the exact same thing But Morgan was right our character really is a huge part of the collateral of who we are even as Christians. Take, for instance, this guy behind me. That's Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds was an incredible baseball player. played for Pittsburgh, played for the San Francisco Giants, an incredible individual. But did you know just the other day, if you were reading the news, did you know that he is rejected for the ninth time now by the Baseball Hall of Fame? They rejected him. Do you know his accomplishments? This guy in his career hit over 756 home runs. He eclipsed Babe Ruth. He eclipsed uh, the the late, great uh, Hank Aaron. He eclipsed them with his home runs. But you notice I have an asterisk beside his name. And when the Hall of Fame was considering Barry Bonds, that's what they considered was the asterisk. Why the asterisk? Because they accused him of taking human growth hormones. He doped. He denies doping. He says, I didn't do those things. But when you look at his physique, when he was at Pittsburgh, and then when he came to the San Francisco Giants at first, and then all of a sudden, this guy blooms up. He gets big. His arms get bigger. His legs get bigger. His head got bigger. He got bigger ever. He got stronger everywhere. Everywhere. The problem with HGH during that era, what they call the steroid era, guys like Mark McGuire and Conseco and guys like that, these guys were monsters when it came down to the plate. You said, well, listen, you don't have to have HGH in order to put the bat on the ball, and that's true, but the longevity that you have in your life as a baseball player was extended way beyond those who did not dope or did not take the the drugs. In other words, that they were more free of injuries. And if they did get injured, they they healed up much quicker. And it expanded their span of playing time. Beyond guys like Babe Ruth, beyond guys like Hank Aaron, who had done the same thing, they probably could have even went further in their career. But they didn't do that. Barry Bonds, they say, did. They just look at him as a person. And so what they were doing is that they're calling his character into question. And I don't think it's just that. Even those who played with Barry Bonds said the guy was a lousy teammate. Did you know when he played for the San Francisco Giants that he didn't dress with them, the regular team players in the clubhouse? He had his own place, his own room that he dressed in and, and drank his sodas and did whatever else he did because he was so much higher than the other players. And so he didn't even really even talk to them a lot on the playing field. They didn't like the guy. And he didn't seem to like them a whole lot as well. And so his team players said, you know what? Our teammates said, the guy's just a selfish guy. So when the Hall of Fame is looking at all the different things beyond just the fact that he put the bat on the ball or was a great player, they look at the character surrounding his life. My opinion is is I don't know how much character goes into it. I think the HGH thing could be really something. But when you talk about character, well, Babe Ruth, he didn't have the best of character. Mickey Mantle, he had some character faults. Ty Cobb. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame, and that guy seriously had some character faults. They made it into the Hall of Fame. If they rejected him out of this, maybe there's some question to that, but the HGH thing seems to be just a real bugaboo in this guy's uh, career. All I'm saying to you is whether that's true or not, the Baseball Hall of Fame looks at his character, and they rejected him because of it, which says to me this, the character counts who people think of us and how they see us because people always have their eyes on us and they expect us as Christians to be the salt of the earth they expect us to be the light of the world they expect our character to rise higher than society in which we live even though they might not like the fact that Christians are around the nature of your profile is about service Service is so important. The words for service are words like diakonos, where we get the English word deacon from. It means to minister. It means to, to serve. The other word is doulos, which is a servant, is the ideal servant. When you talk about Jesus, he is the servant par excellence. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He was a servant in every way, and he demanded that even of his disciples. Over there in Mark, the ninth chapter in verse 35, it says he called his disciples to him himself. And he says, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Jesus understood the world in which they lived that, you know, great men. He spoke of the Gentiles. They are in places of authority and they exert their authority. He says, not so among you. One day you'll be the apostles. One day you'll be the those who are going to be the movers and the shakers of this church that I am going to to build. You need to make sure that you have your priorities right and that you need to be servants. Well, a Christian is to serve, and that's our reset. We need to be those who serve one another. To rise to the top is to begin at the bottom and serving. The motive of our profile should be driven by by love. Pause for a minute and think about anything that maybe you have done uh, and, and how you have done it or the things that you have said or why you said it. What was the motive behind that? What was your motive for serving someone? What was your motive for taking a gift to someone's doorstep? What was your motive for anything that you can think of? Mowing the grass, raking yards. What was your motive behind that? The motive, of course, is that of, of love itself. Galatians 5 and verse 13 says, through love serve one another. So we're asked to consider, well, what is what was the, the motive of love behind the things that I did in terms of being a servant or in terms of, of ministry and as we look at the priorities next week I want you to think about why do we do those things do we do them out of a, a, the motive of loving God or loving our fellow brothers and sisters or loving those who are lost in the world that drives us um, as a part of our profile that of love or is it possible that maybe we need to do a reset that we need to rethink that we need to reset the things and motives of our lives The measure of our profile is sacrifice. Uh, This guy here is John Harry uh, Jowett. He was a a minister of his day, but he wrote some words that I thought were, were great words because they were profound. He says, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. In order to get anywhere in life, whether you're talking about the secular world or whether you're talking even about the spiritual world, in order for us to move forward, there has to be a willingness us to make sacrifices. Sacrifice is so important. So as you think about sacrifice, when was the last time that uh, that you were challenged to sacrifice anything for the cause of Christ? Where you gave something up or gave in to something in order that Christ's cause might be advanced in our world around us. And as we get into those priorities next week, think about what is it going to take for you to sacrifice to accomplish those things because nothing great happens without a willingness to sacrifice. And of course, we are led in that direction by following the footsteps of Jesus himself. Jesus himself, his footsteps led to sacrifice, eventually led him to Calvary and the cross there, where he gave his life as a ransom for many. And the result of that is, is that we are now challenged to do the exact same thing. Jesus said, as he called his, the disciples and others to him, he said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus is talking about a willingness of those who are going to be followers of his to be willing to sacrifice, to give up, to give in, uh, to our own wants and our own desires, maybe sometimes even to our own dreams in order that we might accomplish much in the in the ministry. And so the standard is set by the servant par excellence who is willing to sacrifice all for us. And I think the disciples, they understood that. When Jesus said, you know, you pick up your cross and follow me, they, were, they understood that that was a real possibility, that they could truly die on the cross or truly li- lose their lives following after him. But he wasn't asking us to do anything that he himself was not willing to do. So part of our profile is a willingness that we would sacrifice. And then, of course, there is the profile of submission. Uh, submission is important. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter in verse 21, Paul says, Be in submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. Some of your translators say, out of the fear of, of Christ. I think there's a reverent awe that he is talking about here. As Adam was preparing our minds for the Lord's Supper, he talked about the idea. He submitted himself. That's Jesus. He humbled himself, being God, humbled himself, became a man, and he became obedient or submitted himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. The word submit is an incredible word. It's the word hupotasso. It's a a military term, actually. It means to rank in order or to rank under or to rank beneath. And the idea is that as we look at our our lives, as we look at our profile, which is to be that of service, to be that of of love, uh, to be that of, of sacrifice, you can see how Submission plays a huge role in, in doing that as we work with one another and as we do ministry within the church and as we carry out our mission as a church, those things become something that become uh, very real uh, to us. And so all Christians understand, or at least I hope we all understand that as a congregation, we are to be Submissive to one another. And the interesting thing is that as you go down from verse 22 to the end, he's talking about the church, but he uses the image or the illustration of a husband and wife. And in verse 22, he says, And wives, be in submission to your husbands as unto the Lord. The word submission is not there, it's implied because of what is said in verse 21. But wives are be in submission to their husbands. But then from there on, it says, But husbands are to love their wives. And so the way husbands submit back to their wives is by loving them. Loving them by by being willing to sacrifice as Christ did to the church. Sanctify them. Put them aside as someone that is is special. That they're to love them like themselves. That they're to love them uh, and make them feel secure. Well, you could take that and say, that's about a husband and wife relationship. But Paul says, but I'm really talking about the church. And then we can take that thing and say, you know, that's how we are to treat one another. We are to submit to one another by willing to be willing to sacrifice. We're to submit to one another by making each other feel special and honored. We're to submit to one another as we love ourselves and we should make each other feel secure in our relationship with one another. So congregations should understand the idea or hope that we understand the idea of resetting this idea of submission. And never is this more true than those who are in leadership positions. People who command authority have no right to do so until they have learned how to be uh, uh, submissive to authority. Elders, for instance, elders are submissive men. They may be those who oversee and have charge over a congregation, but they submit to the other men. We have nine men in this congregation. I am one of them. I submit to those other eight men. And those other eight men submit to me, or at least to my part of my degree within that. As a minister, I submit to all of them. As a congregation, we submit to them. But we don't do so because of this, this kind of authority thing that is there. We recognize sacrifice in their lives. We recognize service in their lives. We recognize even submission in their lives. Because serve to be first, you have to, to serve. But sometimes people get the idea that if they can get in a place of authority, now they got power. And that's a bad thing because that oftentimes leads to to pride or is driven by pride. And nothing good generally comes out of that kind of an attitude. And so the idea of submission should be a part of our Christian profile. Number five. The purpose of the profile is to glorify God. Well, I did a whole sermon last week showing passages of Scripture on that. Here's what I do know about God's glory is God's glory is one that he reserves for himself and only himself and refuses to share it with anyone or anything. You say, okay, what about Jesus? Well, Jesus is God. So it's not a problem there. But God said, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. God deserves glory, and he will play second place to no one else. We need to make sure that we are seeking first him. In fact, that's what Jesus said, wasn't it, over there in Matthew, the sixth chapter, and verse 33 Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will take care of the rest. Number six, the tools that develop our profile are prayer and, and scripture. Over in Acts, the sixth chapter, you recall that in the early days of the church, that they were trying to take care of the needs. There was a large population of new Christians in Jerusalem, began on the day of Pentecost with over the 3,000 and was growing rapidly. I mean rapidly. They got up to 5,000 and just kept on growing, and there were needs that were there since a lot of them were from out of town and remained in Jerusalem after Pentecost. Well, there came a problem within the church where the Gentile women or Grecian widows were feeling as though they were being neglected at the serving of tables. So they registered their concerns, and so the apostles said to them, listen, as a congregation, you need to choose seven men full of the Spirit, and let them take care of serving tables. But as for us, uh, we are going to give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so if we have only Bible study and no prayer, uh, we wind up with light, but not much heat in it. We wind up with a lot of knowledge. Like the scriptures say, to be diligent, to study, to show yourselves approved unto God. Over there in Second you know, Timothy, the, uh, the uh, second chapter in verse 15. Or if we have only prayer and no Bible study, we have a lot of heat, but no light. We are to give ourselves to prayer always. And so, and so when you think about the profile of a Christian, understands the importance of, of both. Of both Bible study and then praying in our lives. God connects to us through his word. We connect to God through prayer. And then we listen for his, his answers. So the profile the tools of our profile that will strengthen us, grow us stronger is prayer and the word in our lives. And it'll help us see clearly our priorities. And once you see our priorities, you'll learn about them through the word of God, but you'll understand also that the power behind those priorities is going to be our our prayer life. The privilege of having a godly profile is that of growth, <clears throat> growing a deeper growing closer growing a larger numerically speaking these are the wonderful privileges of ministry and mission in the church so think about your part in in the ministry how deep are you are you getting how close are you growing to others obviously during this period of time we would say well it's really hard to grow close to one another because of this isolation thing of course you could look at flip the thing around and say, shouldn't that even draw us maybe more closer to one another where we have to put extra effort out of staying in contact with each other. It's easy when we just gather together on the first day of every week and have 330 or 360 people here to stay, but when we're not, it causes us to be even, have to even put maybe some more effort into staying close to each other. And is your faith branching out? Are you sharing your faith with those who are around uh, you? The profile is empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is my opinion, but I believe that this is the most overlooked source of power in the church today is the Holy Spirit. And I think we've done so because we've been cowed or we have been scared by the charismatic movement. And because of maybe the way they have abused the gifts of the Spirit and things of, uh, like that, that we have shrunk back away from the Holy Spirit and have not elevated him to his rightful position in strengthening the body. You know that he assists us in our prayers in Romans, the eighth chapter and verses 26 down through 27. You know that he seals us to a day of redemption. Ephesians, in the first chapter, verses 13 and 14, 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 22 and 5 and verse 5 and First Corinthians 6 and verse 19 and just a whole bunch of passages like that. You know that. And we spent a good part of the series last year in Romans, the 12th chapter and verse 6, where it says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And then he outlines these gifts that God has blessed the church with that goes beyond just ability or talents. But there are gifts that are given to us that causes the church to, to carry out its mission in the world around it. The question that I would have is, have we relied too much on our own talents? Or maybe even programs, instead of the dynamic power of the Spirit in this church that animates, that makes us alive, and allows us to carry out the priorities that God has placed before us. I don't think it's any different than Zechariah 4 and verse 6 says, not by by might nor power, but by my spirit. You as a nation can't accomplish anything without me. And I would say to you as a congregation that we can't accomplish anything without the spirit. Jay uh, Tozer said this about about an indictment about the church. He said, If there were no Holy Spirit, would the church be any different? What he's saying is is that with the Spirit, the church should be a different place. Our lives should be differently run. They should be differently empowered beyond programs, beyond talent and ability. My question would be is, are you making room for the Holy Spirit to work in uh, your profile, in your lives? The last one. The model for our profile <clears throat> is Jesus Christ. Let me read to you what, 2nd, or what Colossians 1, verses 16 through 18 says. For by him all things were created, that's Jesus, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Question, does Jesus have first place, preeminence in everything in, in your life? I like what David Livingstone said. He is the greatest master I've ever known. If there is anyone greater, I do not know him. Jesus Christ is the only master supremely worth serving. He is the only idea that never loses its inspiration. He is the only friend whose friendship meets every demand. He is the only Savior who can save to the uttermost. We go forth in his name, in his power, and in his spirit to serve him. He becomes our profile. We are to imitate his life in every way that is possible for us to do so and so in order to reset the priority of ministry that's activity and and mission in our congregation these are 10 what i call profile traits that we might think about as we think about resetting for 2021 and doing the things that we need to do so you remember um at the beginning of the lesson, I shared with you a starting line where these runners are at the starting line. They're all posed there. If you've ever watched a runner, I had an individual picture of a runner. Man, the intenseness of that guy as he is set up in the starting blocks, he's looking forward, he's listening for the official's words. On your mark. Set. And then they're supposed to go. You know, well, sometimes we there's a false start there where we have to go back and reset. Sometimes you get left in the gate. Sometimes it's a slow start. Well, we need to make sure that we're not getting a slow start on this. We need to be posed. We need to be ready. And when this thing opens up more so and allows more normality, we need to be ready to go. On your mark. Set. And then we need to be ready to go out of the blocks and to achieve those priorities that God has placed before us. Reset. That's what it's about. Life is full of resets. Um, we have to do that all the time. We do it in our normal, everyday life. Spiritually speaking, we have to do some resetting from time to time as well. Sometimes we get distracted Find ourselves contaminated by the world, and we have to stop, reevaluate ourselves, and then come back to God and confess our sins. Maybe commit ourselves once again to the cause of Christ and walking the Christian life, and that causes a reset to happen. God's faithful to forgive, God is faithful to put us back in the starting blocks and running the race. Sometimes we need to reset just as individuals to think about our. our our walk. Am I saved or am I not saved? And if you're not, then that calls for a reset in your life. Whatever your need is, once you consider it while we stand and while we sing this song of invitation.